Malachi 2, 10 to 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why, did he, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I usually love preparing a sermon. Like, I love reading the ancient languages. I love meditating on the text. I love reading commentaries. I love reading about the history of the time. I love thinking about uh, how the story unfolds and, and we see Christ as the fulfillment of all things in the Bible. Uh, I love thinking about how that impacts my soul and, and how I can maybe lay something before you that is helpful for you from, from the word. I usually love sermon prep. I didn't love it this week. I've, I've been worrying about this passage all week, if I'm honest with you, because uh, I, I know that the subject of divorce is going to upset people. It's difficult. I, I don't know a lot about what goes on in your marriages. Uh, that there, there may be things that get touched on today that are just, just very painful. Uh, I, some of you are probably afraid for your marriages right now. Things feel like they're falling apart and you just don't know how to put it back together again. Some of you are maybe just ready to divorce. And depending on what you hear today, you may either be pulled back from the edge or pushed over it on that decision. And, and I, th I think most of us in the room, probably more than we realize, we are affected by divorce. Whether it be maybe a divorce in our own lives or, or a divorce or a bad marriage in our family or our parents or something like that. Divorce is everywhere and it's messy and it's painful. And, and I think probably a lot of you, just because this is such a touchy issue, are wanting to hear me say something that validates you, that comforts you either maybe validates that you did the right decision about something or make somebody else to be the bad person. Up front, I want you to know that I'm here just to preach Malachi and just what he talks about divorce. I'm not here to give a 30-minute lecture on all the nuance of every kind of divorce situation because divorce is very painful. It's very difficult. It's very messy. But here in Malachi, he talks about a specific type of divorce a wrongful divorce, a sending away of your spouse in, in, a, in a wicked way, in an unloving, selfish, dark way. And that's what we're going to be primarily talking about. Uh, nevertheless, I want you to know, just up front, we're going to get this out of the room. The Bible talks a lot about divorce. 
God says that you're allowed to divorce your partner if they cheat on you. I mean, you don't have to, but he has given you that option. If somebody has messed up the covenant that bad, you can leave. Uh, he is, uh, the Lord has also told us that sometimes people are just the sufferers in divorce. They have been wrongfully abandoned by their spouse. And uh, he, he tells uh, Christians that if they've been abandoned by an unbeliever, then that, that they can remarry in the Lord. And, and so there's, there's other places that just talk about marriage and divorce all throughout scripture. Uh, and, and also that, that sort of abandonment, I want to I mention this up front. Uh, I believe, many, many uh, people believe that abandonment, you can abandon somebody and still live in the same house. You can abandon your marital vows and, and still like destroy your, your, your marriage. And essentially divorce in that situation would only just be somebody getting a piece of paper that officializes what has already happened uh, whenever somebody has mistreated their spouse in, in such a bad way. I, I don't want to pretend that divorce is simple. That's what I'm trying to get across. Very painful, very difficult and uh, it, we, we shouldn't take it lightly. So if this is something that right now is going on in your life, then please uh, talk to me, talk to Ben, talk to the elders, uh, talk to somebody that you trust, because these things, they don't need to happen in isolation and in the dark. We need help. We need to take these things seriously. And I've actually included uh, two, two hyperlinks in your bulletin. Not that you can click on it, but they're there if you wanted to type this in or find the online bulletin. Uh, our denomination, the PCA, has actually put a lot of thought into divorce and remarriage and abuse and what to do in these sorts of situations, and that's links to two really big documents. They're over 100 pages each, and if you uh, want to know more about this sort of thing, I give you that as just deep dives on the subject that you can look up later. They can be guides when things get dark. Uh, divorce is something we need help with. So with, look, that out of the way, and we can talk about it more later if, if you want to talk about it. Uh, I just want to reiterate that I'm here to preach on the divorce that's happening in Malachi 2. Malachi has a warning for us, as prophets usually do, and it's this. He wants us to guard ourselves. That's the main point of this text today. He wants us to guard ourselves. Guard ourselves in ways that have to do with our covenants, our marriages. To watch over ourselves so that we do not become unfaithful to either God or to our spouse. Because we are prone to unfaithfulness. I am. You are. We're, we're prone. We're bent towards unfaithfulness. And we can turn a peaceful home into a nightmare. So we must guard ourselves. We're going to study the text in three parts. We're going to talk about the God side of divorce. We're going to talk about the human side of divorce. And then the, the plea, the, the prophet's request that we would guard ourselves. So the God side of divorce, the human side of divorce, and guard yourselves. Uh, so let's look at part one, the God side of divorce. Malachi starts out by teaching them that their earthly human relationships, their marriages here, it is connected with their relationship to God. So, since that's true, their unfaithfulness in human relationships is also unfaithfulness to God. See, before Malachi ever talks about their human marriages, he actually he has some, some questions about the God side of things. Look at verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Yes, we have one father. Yes, one God has created us, they would say. Then, in light of that, Malachi brings his charge. 
Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now, as the text progresses, he's going to explain more about what that unfaithfulness looks like. But notice the language he uses here. He says that they are profaning what? Profaning the covenant of their fathers. God and Israel had made a covenant together. That's like a a very special bond, an oath, a vow, much like a marriage vow. In some sense, Israel was married to Yahweh, their God. Uh, That's what a covenant is. Out of anybody on planet Earth, God chose to be in covenant with these people, the Israelites. They were his people. Earlier in Malachi, we read, Jacob have I loved, Esau I have hated. It is the people of Israel that are in a special relationship with God. But Israel has been faithless on her end of the deal. Israel has broken the marriage vows and been unfaithful. Look at verse 11. He says, an abomination has been committed. Now, abomination, that word is a very weighty word in the Old Testament. It usually occurs only in the context of idolatry. There's other uses, but like it's mostly an idolatry word. It, it is, idolatry um, is, is whenever the, God's people cheat on God. It's whenever they go after another deity. They're seeking something outside of that relationship they have with the one true God. And this idolatry, it says it happens in the sanctuary, what is the sanctuary? The sanctuary, that part of the, the temple, it's like the marriage bed of God and his people. It's where they, they met with God in a special way, where the covenant was strengthened and renewed. But look at verse 11. They have polluted the sanctuary by going to bed with the daughter of a foreign god. They've, they've soured their marriage bed with God. They, they've cheated on him. And the pending result of this behavior, the spiritual adultery, is divorce. If Israel will not repent, then God will what? He'll cut them off. He'll send them away. Read along in verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You don't cheat on God and then just show up and act like nothing's wrong or just bring like a little mild sacrifice. No, if if you deny God in such a brazen way, then you and and you're going to be led astray and and your children are probably going to follow with you. They're going to be cut off from him. It's a grievous thing. It's not like this happens in every case, but often if you have somebody who openly abandons God, they bring their families with them, their children with them. The Lord says that, that he, will, he will punish families, but he is gracious unto thousands of generations to those who fear him. So your sin won't affect just you. If you openly rebel against God, like, your kids are going to have to work through stuff. So just be, be wary of that. Uh, if you're not a Christian today, uh, let me let you in on a little secret. Christians worship other gods. Not in a real sense. We don't have little statues in our house that we bow down to and stuff. But often we commit spiritual adultery. We worship other things. We, we worship comfort. We worship success. We worship sex. We worship money, power. I, I, I bet one of the reasons, honestly, that I was not looking forward to preaching this passage is because there's part of me that worships comfort. I didn't want to rock the boat. 
I don't want to damage relationships with, with people here. I didn't want to stir the pot. I didn't want to let sleeping dogs lie. But what's best is to be faithful to God and to his word. Now, I, I know a lot about sin because like I'm, a, I'm a chief sinner, you know, like I've sinned a lot. I've got a long history with sin. And in my long history of unfaithful sin against God, I, I've learned what my gut reaction is when I sin. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. I sin, and then I act like it's not that big of a deal. And then later, I realize how big of a deal it is. And so then I, I come crawling back to God with some meager offering, some sacrifice to him. I'm like, oh, Lord, here's a promise to you that I'll never do that again. Or, oh, Lord, here, look at all my tears. Look how bad I feel about my sin. Will you accept this? That's garbage. Like, like I want to make things up to God, but I just can't. You can't. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing we can offer him that's going to make up for the things that we have done, for the adultery that we've committed. We've cheated on him. And we're at his mercy. All we can do is ask him for mercy. Friends, this is why Jesus is such a big deal. This is why Jesus is the best news you will ever hear in your life. This is the God side of divorce. Like, like God has been cheated on by us time and time again. Yet instead of sending us away, putting his foot down, letting that happen, forcing us out of his presence, what, he is, what has he done? Instead of giving us what we deserve, or instead of lying and, and pretending like our sin is not that big of a deal, instead of all that, he has committed himself to making his marriage with us work. And I want you to hear this. The Lord has promised to do whatever it takes to make things work with you, with me. Our offerings stink. They, they don't cover any sin. So he paid the price with his own flesh and blood. He came down and died in our place. From heaven he came and sought her, us, to be his holy bride. Jesus on the cross is the only way that you and me can be reconciled to God. And he had to do it himself. He is committed. He is faithful in this relationship. He's committed to making this marriage work with you. So if you have just felt wretched lately... Paranoid, afraid to be known, afraid to know yourself and all the gunk that lay beneath just below the surface, afraid of rejection, like rightful rejection, then just take a moment and lift your eyes off yourself and look at Jesus. He's committed. He wants to make this work. He has made a way back for you. Because on the God side of things, it's not just divorce. There is also hope of reconciliation. And it's yours if you want it. So that's the God side of divorce. And the hope of restoration up there. Uh, now for part two, the human side of divorce. So what's going on on the human side of things? Like the, the actual events that are uh, causing Malachi to, to write all this. Well, it's not explicit in the text, actually, but we have a lot of clues from both Malachi and from other places in the Old Testament what's going on in Israel at this time. So it seems that God's people, after they, they'd been in the land and then they went into exile in Babylon, and now they're coming back and they're sort of restarting Israel, it appears that many of them had begun to divorce their wives and marry local uh, Canaanite Philistine women. 
these people who worshiped other gods. I want you to go read the end of Ezra. Go re- read the end of Nehemiah. Uh, we, we have explicit accounts of men who did this. We have lists of their names. I mean, imagine your name being on a list in the Bible. Uh, like this, this happened. This was a real historical event where people abandoned their wives and, and went and married these women and had unlawful marriages outside of the faith. It was an epidemic. And even the Levitical priests were doing this. And, and maybe, maybe Malachi is focusing just on the priests here, or mostly at the priests. If you've been following the series, you know he's been tearing into the priests for all the ways that they've messed up. So that may be going on. And look, we, we don't know how long this phenomenon continued, how long it went for. But at some point, God appears to have judged the Israelites for what they're doing. They're messing up in a lot of ways, and this is one of them. Uh, look at verse 13. Something bad is happening. So the people are crying all over the altar. They're weeping and they're groaning, but God isn't accepting their sacrifices. He's not answering their prayers. Malachi chapter 3 may shed some light on this. It, It talks about how if the people would just bring proper sacrifices to the Lord and follow his commandments, then he would rebuke the devourer in the field and the things that are destroying their vineyards. They could eat and have their wine again if they would just listen to God and do things right. And so that could be the situation in the background for this. Uh, but, but as things stand here, just, just, just know that the people were not experiencing God's blessing. They were experiencing his curse. Because all their tears, all their fretting, it could not wash away the guilt that still lay unconfessed between them and God. So the people don't get why God is cursing them. They're a little in the dark. Look at verse 11. They cry out, why? They don't understand why God isn't answering their prayers. So God gives them the answer. It's because God is a witness between them and the wise of their youth to whom they've been faithless. They're doing all these sacrifices. They're crying out to God, trying to get God's attention, but they're just putting Band-Aids on a bullet wound. You know, they, they have no remedy for the great evil that they have done. First Peter chapter 3, actually, I, this isn't just something that happens in ancient Israel. This happened in the New Testament church. First Peter 3 tells husbands to be gentle with their wives, to live with them in an understanding way. And then what does it follow up with? It says, so that your prayers aren't hindered. God cares about spouses today too. In some way, your prayers are hindered whenever you are mistreating your spouse. Your relationship with God is touched by your human relationship. Those things are connected more than we understand, uh, more than we realize. And God cares because he's invested in your marriage. See, the human side of divorce is actually so miserable, not just because of the pain that we encounter whenever we go through a divorce, But it's also so miserable because it's destructive towards something that God is making. Look at the end of verse 14. A spouse is supposed to be a companion by covenant. Through marriage, God gives people like a forever friend. And he delights in doing that, making this friendship. Verse 15 God, through marriage, makes people into one, one creature, one flesh. He builds two things into one. So as we are to to care for one another as if we are caring for ourselves. 
And there's something spiritual. Look, it says, by his spirit, a portion of his spirit. Married couples, they are mingling their spiritual essence like in some sort of way. I don't understand. But they're one. God is doing something on a spiritual level. And, and moreover, what is God's other agenda with this? I keep reading. It bears godly offspring did you see that in verse 15? God seeks godly offspring from his people through marriage. Now let it be said that not everybody can have kids. It's a real struggle for a lot, a lot of people. I'll even go as far as say not everybody should have kids. But as a general principle, like one of the God's primary ways of making Christians is having Christians have babies and raising those kids in the faith to know him, to grow up knowing the love of God. And that is wonderful. And, and there, there's something, it's not really present in, in this passage, but Paul also makes it clear that our human marriages are how we play out God's love for us. Like you go, you get married and you're going to learn like what it is like to love a sinner like, I've learned more about God through being married to a sinner, and the sinner I'm married to has learned more about God, like, through this marriage than maybe anything else. Uh, there's this steadfast love in the face of just pain. Now, sometimes sin can destroy marriage, but you just got to know, like, sin in your marriage is one of the ways where you learn how God loves you. So, look. What am I getting at here? All I'd say, God has given marriage because he wants to build something bigger. He's doing something with your marriage. And whenever we divorce, at least in this wrongful way, we are doing something destructive to what God is making. We're tearing down what he's trying to build up. Look at verse 16. God says that the person who destroys a marriage like this covers themselves in violence like a garment. Because in a spiritual sense, it's as if they are hacking apart what God is making. It's graphic. It's miserable. It's painful. It's destructive. And maybe you're thinking, like, like why should anybody get married if, it's, if there's this much pressure to get it right? Why get married, especially in this day and age? Why put yourself in, in, in such a position? Why bother with this? You know, after all, in today's society, we treat pretty much every relationship in a transactional way. You know, I, I go to the grocery store. I pick out some things that I want. I go to the teller. I, I, I give them give the money that they want. They give me the goods I want. I walk out. We are two separate entities. Like, I, I'm not one with Walmart. I am not one with Canadian Tire. I can shop somewhere else and that's fine. They have no say over me or what other stores I go to. I can have a Costco membership and a Sam's Club membership and that's fine. I, do you even have Sam's Club here? Yes. No? No, I'm seeing some dozen. I used to work for Sam's Club in the States. Anyway, like it's merely transactional. And that's how many of us are trained to treat our relationships as transactional. Hey, you give me this, I give you that. We'll make this work until it doesn't work, and then see you later. We just want to have an arrangement that works for the both of us. And as long as it works, it works, and when it doesn't work, it doesn't work anymore. But here's the problem with this. 
a problem with this. Human beings aren't marketplace items. We treat them like they are. The pornography industry treats people as marketplace items. I was trying to look up statistics and the pornography industry as a whole makes somewhere between $15 billion a year to $100 billion a year. Somewhere in there, that's the pornography industry. We treat people like they are marketplace items. These Israelites were treating their wives like marketplace items. They decided to divorce their wives of their youth, whom they had made this promise with, and go for the local Canaanite girl. Maybe this Canaanite girl had more connections, they could do better business, they spoke the language better, they, they helped them around the city, more, 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 better transaction. Maybe their younger could have more kids, you know, says the, versus the wives of your youth, and they're going maybe for somebody a little bit younger than that. And, uh, you know, marriage can be a great way to do business and diplomacy. Think about the history of the earth, how often are, are women especially traded as pawns between nations. But that's not what we're made for. You are made in the image of God. You have dignity. You're more than a marketplace item. And so whenever you are involved in a marriage, that is more than just a transaction. There's something else going on there. It's a companionship. It's a covenant. What marriage is, is it's saying, there, there's somebody who's supposed to say to you, I will never abandon you. I will give you all that I am. This is not a transaction. This is a new creation. We are going to be one. And I am here to serve you and lay down my life for you. Because I want you to know what it is like to be loved. To know what it means to be loved. That's marriage. Like, isn't that what you really want? Isn't that so much better than a transaction? Like, marriage is terribly messy, and there will be tears, and it is painful. But at the end of the day, I will take that anytime. It is beautifully expressed love whenever two people are committed to upholding their covenant vows. Don't settle for less than that. Uh, that's, that's the human side. So this leads to our final point. We've seen the God side of divorce. We've seen the human side of divorce. And now for the, the final thing, like what the prophet is asking us to do in this room today. Guard ourselves. Guard yourselves. Notice that he tells them this twice. Look at the end of verse 15 and the end of verse 16. He says, guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Love your wife. Love your husband. Don't seek cheap thrills. It's time to pick up the pieces and repent and love one another again. It is time to renew the covenant. Look, if, if you're seeking marriage this morning, if, if, you're, if you're single, please don't give yourself over to transactional thinking. It's going to try and creep in. Call in the troops. Call in your friends. Get whomever you can to help break sinful habits that may lead you into that sort of mindset. The human side of divorce is very destructive and, and it has roots that reach into us even before we get married. Fight it, guard yourself even now before you enter a covenant. But look, there is a, a beauty waiting to be enjoyed whenever we learn this faithfulness. 
And the Lord will make something beautiful if you follow him. He has his eyes on you and he's there watching you. The Lord has his eyes on our marriages. Did you notice how the Lord kept inserting himself in verse 16? Read it again. It says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, you don't love her, you you send her away. Well, I'm the God of Israel, buddy, and that's my daughter that you're mistreating. You're covering your, your, your garment with violence, but I am the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, and you do not want to mess with me. You don't want to do violence to my little girl, or I'm coming for you. God hates when people destroy their marriages through sin. Now, I, I, I want to say something about verse 16 in particular. Something I, I really want to hit home with you this morning. Historically, the church has not been very clear about verse 16. If any of you happen to bring a King James Bible with you this morning, you can actually you can look at it. You'll notice that it translates verse 16 very differently. It says, God hates divorce. Have you ever heard that phrase, God hates divorce? It's from the King James Version of Malachi 2.16. And with much respect to those translators, they they were great scholars in all sorts of ways, it's a mistranslation, it's just wrong. It's not what the text says. The text really says, uh, the one who hates and sins away, says Yahweh, God of Israel, and then it continues. But this mistranslation of scripture has been used to trap people in bad marriages. Like, oh yeah, you know, they, they cheated on you, but God hates divorce. Or, oh yeah, they have, they have abused you, they've neglected their marital vows. Kind of a jerk, but, you know, God hates divorce. Look, we ought to hold marriage in high regard. But we must be faithful to the scriptures above all else. And the scriptures don't say God hates divorce. No, it says, it says that the man who hates his wife and sends her away covers himself in violence. So don't misquote God. Don't contribute to the violence that God condemns. So if you this morning are being seriously mistreated by your spouse, and your spouse has repeatedly damaged you and your family, Please reach out to your church leaders, to counselor, somebody that you can trust, whomever you can trust to help you and support you during that time, to assist with solving things. Sometimes reconciliation is possible, and sometimes it's it's not. Now here in Malachi 2, it seems like reconciliation is possible. It's it's mind-blowing here, but it seems like it's possible. God calls these men to be faithful to the wives of their youth to forsake their current unlawful mistress brides and restore their first wives to their position. Women in those days, they had a much harder time after they got divorced than than women today do. Uh, Women back then were much more dependent on the heads of household. So these poor women who were divorced by their husbands, they probably had to go back to their father's house just to survive, just to make it. But God calls these men to be faithful again and to give their first wives back their position, back everything that they deserve and owe, if those women are willing to accept it. 
You know, part of these men guarding themselves is by picking up the pieces of a marriage that they have shattered and trying to make things right. Some of you today may be in this stage. It's time for you to pick up the pieces because you've done some serious shattering of your marriage. But there's another part of what it means to guard yourself. And it's this. God doesn't just want you to focus only on everything you've got to do to make things right, to pick up the pieces. Because that'll crush any of us. If that's all we have is just him telling us to do better, that will destroy us. Anytime you are in scripture and it feels like it is just too much to bear, keep this in mind. Just tell yourself, keep reading. Keep reading. And so here in Malachi, I think we just, we just keep reading. We keep reading the prophet. And as we, as we go through the prophet, see, uh, we're going to see beautiful things unfold. God put something so beautiful and altogether lovely before the people that they, they would just grasp it. Then they could have the strength to carry on with hope. I mean, a, a, a bad marriage can sit you in, into the most hopeless pits of despair, but the Lord is setting something before them that's wonderful. Uh, it, it ends with God saying that those people who follow God to the very end, through the darkest of moments, and, and stay faithful to him, hoping in him, they are going to break forth in a new day when the sun rises, and they're going to be like young cattle jumping out of the stall, leaping. Can you imagine that? Imagine that hope and energy. That's what's promised to God's people. Evil will be destroyed. God's people will be exalted. That's the end of Malachi. I'll let Ben preach that in a few weeks. I don't want to steal his thunder too much. But if you're in Malachi, all you have to do is turn the page. The next page of your Bible is what? It's the New Testament. It's the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is born. You keep reading and you're going to find him. Um, a husband so pure, so loving, so sacrificial that, that he takes your violence-stained garments and he takes them on himself and he gives you a bright white robe. A God so faithful that he loves you when you are at your worst, dead in your sins, and he lifts you up into new life by dying in your stead. Like, if you want to guard yourself in your spirit, then you must fill your spirit, fill it by reading his word and understanding the love of the Son of God. And as you read, you'll begin to see that on every page. Guard yourself with his love. And you'll be fine. No matter what tough decisions you have to make. No matter the difficulties that are coming into your life. No matter the pain and the broken promises, the Lord will take care of you. He is good. Let us pray.